Hello, welcome to the Reforming Worship Podcast, brought to you by the Church of Philadelphia in Traverse City, Michigan. A 21st century Reformation cry for the Christian church to return to the scriptures and worship God as he is prescribed in the Bible. I'm Andrew Smitty, your host and content manager, introducing Pastor Caleb Leach, Minister of Word and Sacrament. Pastor Caleb? Praise be to God. Hey, listen, um, I'm not going to give a long introduction this time. Those long introductions and uh, in trying to catch everybody up on what we've covered so far are starting to even annoy me, so I can't imagine how our listeners feel. <laughs> so we just had an episode called How Then Shall We Worship? Um, I would uh, I would ask you to listen to that first before we get into our topic today, which is the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine. So in worshiping God, which is the biggest thing that changes when we understand that there is one covenant of grace, that how God has instructed us to be worshiped, how, how God instructed us to worship him can be fulfilled in Christ. It can have a glorious fulfillment, but it will not have a cessation. That is, there's a perfect completeness. There's a, there's a perfect fulfillment in how we worship but it's going to be according to the same pattern. We talked about how um, God, when he teaches us how to worship him, because he's holy, we're not, he has to teach us how to worship him, right? He calls us to worship him. He confronts us with his holiness. We respond in our confession of sins. We confess our sins to God. We are now cleansed and ready to worship him. When we lift up our voices to worship, whether we're confessing our faith together, whether we're hearing the word of God preached, um, when we're when we're doing this, we are participating in something kind of like the whole burnt offering, like the whole burnt offering. And that whole burnt offering becomes a sign and seal of our right standing with God in the peace offering, in the peace offering. From there, we are blessed and sent out. So, in old administrations, God called his people to worship. They offered a sacrifice for their sin. Then they were free to offer up a sacrifice, animal sacrifice for worship. And then the peace offering is when that sacrifice became food to them. It was a sign and a seal of their right standing with God. And then Aaron gave a blessing. The high priest Aaron or his sons gave a blessing. In this administration of the covenant of grace, we hear the minister give us a call to worship which confronts us with the holiness of God. We confess our sins and we receive the washing of Christ getting ready for us, getting us ready to worship him. We're then ready to hear the word and we're rightly divided by the word of God. That's sharper than two-edged sword, word of God, that pierces between soul and spirit. We then are brought back to get we are remade we are made whole in how the word of god is a hammer a fire a sword and a bomb we are undone by the word we are also healed by the word that word becomes food to us in the lord's supper the bread and the wine where the bread and the wine doesn't turn into anything it's not the physical body and blood of christ it stays bread it stays wine but we truly have the presence, the very real presence of Christ ministered to us, not carnally, but spiritually. And yes, we profess the real presence of Christ. So when we, when we go, hey, if God was holy before <laughs> and he doesn't change, <laughs> where, do we, um, where do we think that we can just change how we worship God? And you, maybe you're asking yourself, where is this in the Bible? Well, actually, the New Testament is not a standalone book. 
at all. The New Testament is actually the fulfillment of the Old. That is, when Paul talks about how he observes the church's order and even rejoices to see their order, he's talking about the order of what? How they worship God. Well, the New Testament doesn't give us an order of worship or a liturgy, if you will. Yes, but the Old Testament does. Christ isn't coming to do away with the law. He's coming to fulfill it. Our question isn't what stands and what goes in the Old Testament. Our question should be, how is this fulfilled in Christ, and how do I live in light of it? So, when Isaiah comes before the presence of God, he says, woe is me, I am undone. When John comes before the presence of God, he falls on his face as though a dead man. Right? We become undone through a revelation of God's holiness because God does not change. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We run to the throne of grace with a joy. We are overjoyed to confess our sin because he who promises faithful, he won't leave us in our sins. He'll wash us, cleanse us, justify us, sanctify us in the blood of his son. We know all this because he changes not. We worship the Lord uh, as living sacrifices. We hear the word of God come out as a hammer, a fire, a sword, and a balm. We see these beautiful truths come to light. We have a new understanding of who God is. We feed on him spiritually. We lift up our voices in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and we leave blessed. So, Let's highlight um, what we're talking about on this, the, our church's statement on the Lord's Supper. So, we, the Church of Philadelphia in Traverse City, Michigan, with great joy in the fear of the Lord, find it necessary to declare our primary doctrinal distinction from many of our Reformed brethren. For the application of the grace and the presence of Christ in his gospel, the greater unity of the church for whom Christ died— and for clarity in our membership, we desire to restore the ancient practice of the Lord's Supper as not only essential to the Lord's Day worship, but the very pinnacle of the corporate worship of the church. It's the climax. It is the acropolis of the worship service. It all builds to partaking of Christ spiritually. We, without reservation, confess that Christ is truly and spiritually present, Witness in and by the bread and the wine when this sacrament is accompanied with the Holy Spirit-given faith and administered by the institution for whom it was given, namely the biblical church. All right, Christ is truly spiritually present. That presence of Christ is witnessed in and by the bread and the wine. It's also witnessed in and by the congregation gathered and the minister giving it. We, we deny the localized presence of God in, in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, like um, our, sometimes our Eastern Orthodox, some Anglicans and our uh, Roman Catholic brethren will say that, okay, he's, he's in the bread and the wine, um, and the, they're happy to say that. And, and, and some of them will even insist that, no, 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 it's spiritual, it's not carnal. Rome won't, but others will. But what they miss is that we as the gathered body of Christ— we are also discerning the Lord's body in each other and discerning the Lord's body in the minister giving that sacrament too. Um, a friend of mine referred to it as a lowercase i incarnation of, of Christ being given 
to us. When he, when he first said that, it kind of hit my ears a little bit off. Like, it's oh, that sounds like an overstatement. The more I thought about it, no, he hit the nail on the head. That was good. Um, I'm not sure if he wants to be quoted by me or not, so I'll check with, I'll check with him before I tell you who. Um, but anyway, when this sacrament is given by the institution for whom it was given, that is the biblical church, and it's accompanied with Holy Spirit-given faith, then the presence of Christ is ministered and we feed upon all the benefits of his death. 1 Corinthians 10.16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? This bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Right Now, keep in mind, there's a whole bunch of understandings that go right out the window when we look at this. This cup of blessing which we bless stays a cup, stays a wine. Is it not a communion with the blood of Christ? This bread which we break, it stays bread. Is it not a communion of the body of Christ? Again, that's 1 Corinthians 10.16. So the Roman Catholic view that it doesn't stay wine and bread, that's out. But also the mere memorialist position, the idea that this is just a symbol. It means what you make it mean. That's out as well. We are truly communing with the blood of Christ, truly communing with the body of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 10.16. Your issues with Paul, not me. We, with the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is my confession, confess that the Lord's Supper is one of two and only two sacraments of this administration of the covenant of grace, the other being Trinitarian baptism. Trinitarian baptism is the means by which you are joined to the church externally. Now, you can be joined to the church externally on the outside and not be joined to Christ on the inside. So there are people who are not really in Christ, who are not truly saved, who are not going to heaven when they die, that are part of the external church. These are people who are baptized um, outwardly. They've been baptized in the flesh, but they haven't been baptized in the heart, right? They're not regenerate. They don't have new affections. They haven't been given the gift of repentance and faith. There is the very rare situation where someone will be given the gift of repentance and faith but is not able to be baptized. I think of the thief on the cross, and that's important to point out. But you may not come to the Lord's table until you've been baptized, plain and simple. Baptism is your joining to Christ externally, water baptism. Regeneration is your joining to Christ internally. The outward must match, must match the inward. And we want to highlight that once you've been baptized, you are now eligible for not, a, um, not the sacrament that brings you into the church, but a sustaining sacrament, a sacrament that's a constant means of grace, a constant giving of God uh, to his people, giving of God. Uh, God gives himself to his people is what I'm trying to say. So a sacrament, let's talk about a sacrament for a second. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is distinct from an ordinance. All right, an ordinance would be like marriage. Marriage is an ordinance. A sacrament is distinct from an ordinance. It's both a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, which, one, was instituted by God to represent Christ. Two, to impart every benefit of his death, burial, and resurrection, according to the scriptures. Three, 
in which an inseparable union exists between the sign and the thing signified. In the case of the Lord's Supper, it's bread and wine. In the case of baptism, it's water. That's the sign and the thing signified, Christ and him crucified. Okay? This is called a sacramental union. Right? When you understand what a sacramental union is, you can talk about the sign and the thing signified as one. So when we baptize, we baptize for the remission of sins, right? Not because we think it's magic water, but because if this, if the Holy Spirit is there giving that faith, that participation of the sacrament really is a means of grace, right? If the Holy Spirit is in the bread and the wine, we truly are partaking in the presence of God and all the benefits that he accomplished for us. So I have no problem as a reformed person saying the body of Christ or the blood of Christ when giving the elements. And then number four, this is a work of the Holy Spirit of God on behalf of his church. This is a work of the Spirit of God on behalf of his church. So much more is happening than just um, than just eating a piece of bread and drinking a little cup while you think nice thoughts about Jesus. No. Christ Christ is there ministering and feeding his people spiritually. Furthermore, we confess that this is a great mystery that Christ is given for his people that no man can fully grasp in this life. That's important to say, too, because someone's going to ask, well, how? How does it strengthen your faith? How does like, chewing on a little piece of bread and, 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 and sipping out of a cup, um, how does that increase your faith? Um if you mean show me the math on it, I'm just going to tell you beats me. But if what you mean is that it really does, I'm going to I'm going to, I'm going to share with you that this was Paul's doctrine. He says many are weak and sick among you. Some have even fallen asleep. Some of you have even died because you've trifled with this holy holy thing. So when God makes a receiver of the Lord's Supper worthy, God we're not worthy. God makes us worthy, right? So we have what imparted to us grace even more faith even more strength even more it's a sustaining sacrament let me read uh, to you from the westminster confession of faith worthy receivers outwardly partaking of the visible elements in the sacrament do then also inwardly by faith really and indeed yet not carnally or corporally but spiritually receive and feed upon christ crucified and all the benefits of his death the body and blood of Christ being then not carnally or corporally in with or under the bread and the wine, yet as really but spiritually present to the faith of the believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. So much to say about that. It's not carnal like Rome teaches, um, and but it is spiritual. Christ is actually present. He's present to the faith of believers, and he's just as present to us as the elements, the bread and the wine, are to our outward senses. Calvin said it this way, it's not for the strength of your faith that he gives you the sacrament, it's for the weakness of your faith. We need something to touch and to hold, to to chew and to swallow, to drink and be refreshed. Um even as many medical advances as we have today, a good pastor friend of mine used this analogy, and I loved it. Oh, it was Pastor Bruce, actually. He was on the podcast. He, you've heard him say this. Um, 
that there's a there's a sense where we eat food and it nourishes our body. And we can break it down to okay, this is how digestion works, and carbs are the uh, carbs are the energy, and 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 protein are the building blocks. Carbs are the fuel, and proteins are the building blocks. And excess excess energy is stored as fat. Okay, we can learn different things. But if you ask enough questions, even even the most educated on the subject will eventually say, "I don't know." We'll eventually just have to say, "We're still working on it." There is a time maybe before we made all these medical breakthroughs, that all we knew is that food sustained us. We didn't know necessarily how, we just knew that it did. Um, it's much in the same way that this is a great mystery. This is God's kindness to the church that he's given us these sacraments, and we rejoice in them. So we therefore deny the Baptist error, that this is a mere ordinance separated from a sacramental union previously described. Okay, now I I need to clarify this. Baptists say this is an ordinance, and here's the thing: this is what most people don't understand. We agree with them. All sacraments are ordinances, but not all ordinances are sacraments, right? When the Baptist says it's not a sacrament, it's an ordinance. What they're saying is there's no real grace given in in the moment of of partaking in faith. Right now, some Baptists won't agree with that. Some some Baptists will say, "No, I do believe Christ is spiritually present." I thank God for them, but it's not consistent. Um, take a look at the London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter twenty-seven, and compare that with the Westminster Confession um, when we talk about sacraments versus ordinances. Um, we also, with great joy, do read and understand that our Reformed Baptist brethren do confess, do confess a true spiritual feeding on Christ and all the benefits. Now, they do mention that about the Lord's Supper, but then they kind of skirt the issue where they don't have a chapter on the sacraments or what sacraments are or what a sacramental union is. Again, it's blessed inconsistency. We, we love our Reformed Baptist friends. We just want them to be consistent and come over to this side of the fence. This they do inconsistently with their implicit denial of the sacramental union and the misunderstanding of the singularity of the covenant of grace from Adam's fall until world without end. That's Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 7, subsection 6. We abhor the heresy of the Roman falsely called Catholic Church. By the way, catahalus means of the whole. I believe in the universal church. I'm a Catholic. Um, those uh, Roman Catholics are Romanists. They shouldn't even be called Catholics. There's nothing less universal than a city in Rome, uh, than a city of the world getting to make all these decisions. We abhor the heresy of the Roman falsely called Catholic Church that the Mass is a propitiatory sacrifice that can never perfect the worshiper in which the elements actually become in substance the body and blood. Um, what's a, you might be asking, what's a propitiatory sacrifice? That means it removes sin. Um, Rome actually believes that upon taking of the Eucharist, you, you can, you can actually have your sins removed, uh, in that moment in time. Happy to say that that's when you encounter your forgiveness at times, but we reject that Christ is being offered Again, now some Roman Catholics don't like that terminology, but their scholars say that that Christ is being offered again as a sacrifice for sin. It's a sacrifice of praise, but it's not a sacrifice for sin. No more. Christ was offered once for sin. That's it. We resist the error of our Lutheran brothers who say 
that the omnipresent Christ is in, with, or under the elements themselves. Um, now that okay, so Luther's uh, understanding was of the ubiquity of the body of Christ. That is, when he ascended, he became omnipresent again, and therefore he's in, on, and under everything. So that would include the bread and the wine. That would also include the sandwich you packed for work today. So no, <laughs> I don't know what happened with Luther there. I I have a theory that the German ale was just very very good that year. We also reject the aberrant teaching that the Lord's Supper is a mere memorial, robbing this most precious doctrine of spiritual efficacy. Our Lord and Savior did not say, this represents my body. He, of course, said, this is my body. Now, don't get thrown off. Don't jump to Rome on me, right? Like we say, with this ring I be wed, right? It's not a magic ring that poof turns you into a husband or a wife, right? Nevertheless, our Lord and Savior said, this is my body, not this represents my body, not this just turned into my body. He said, this is my body. Neither worship and song nor the preaching of the word can rightly be said to be the high point of the corporate worship of the church. For the heart of the worshiper will not be without indwelling sin in this life. Furthermore, preachers often err and always fall short of the full glory of God in what they say and fail to say. So, if a man is preaching, it's not perfect. If we're singing, it's not perfect. It's coming from sin-stained lips. But when the word is preached imperfectly by men in the context of how God has instructed us to worship him, which goes back to what we talked about last time. Again, listen to How Then Shall We Worship before you listen to this one. In the context of how God has instructed us to worship him, and this word is accompanied by sacrament, Christ himself, with all his benefits, receives us into true the true Holy of Holies, Mount Zion, the New Jerusalem. He, as our great high priest, gives us his body as food indeed and his blood as drink indeed, confirming himself to us as our sacrifice once and for all given for the church. Here we find and apply grace and mercy purchased for us in the atonement by this new and living way. That's Hebrews 12. Go go ahead and pause this if you have the ability to go read Hebrews 12. We haven't come to Mount Sinai. We've come to Mount Zion. We haven't come to the old Jerusalem. We've come to the new Jerusalem. That's what church is. We confess that the Lord's table is a fulfillment of the Passover to be sure, but also of the peace offering. Therefore, Holy Communion is inseparable from the call to worship, confession of sins, and faith. The preaching of the word, the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as well as the benediction. In other words, if you're not partaking of the Lord's Supper, it may be a really great sermon and everything else. You may have sung your favorite worship song, but it's not Lord's Day worship unless you're worshiping in word and sacrament. Because of our tendency in our day of fellow Christians to nod in agreement at biblical arguments without understanding the full implications of what they too readily receive, let us restate the last three paragraphs in the plainest terms. We firmly believe that to neglect the Lord's Supper and the church's worship on the Lord's Day is to depart from the only way God has decreed to be worshipped in every generation, that is, word and sacrament. We fully understand that many of our Reformed predecessors inconsistently, I might add, neglected this form of worship, word and sacrament, weekly on the Lord's Day. With joy and humility, we urge our Reformed brethren to consistency on this subject. 
Our position is none other than John Calvin's and the early church and is completely consistent with the Westminster Confession of Faith. Because of this, we at the Church of Philadelphia cannot and will not neglect word and sacrament every Lord's Day worship, regardless of pandemics or persecution. We have not and will not close. And God bless you guys if you agreed with everything I said about the sacraments up until this point. But if you shut down your church for COVID, you have, you don't actually agree. All right, I love you, but that's not that's not what we're preaching here. If let's say COVID really was the bubonic plague, let's 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 talk about uh, let's not talk about uh, whether it's dangerous or not. Let's not talk about any of the politically hot issues. Let's say the bubonic plague came back, or yellow fever, or diphtheria, or, or, or any of these horrendous diseases that were killing people left, right, and center. Okay, what would we do then? We would come to worship God on His day, and if we if if that required our lives. If we died because we gathered to worship God, then blessed be the name of the Lord. That's how I want to go out. God has the right to require his lives, the lives of his worshipers. Anyway, furthermore, because the true worship of God is written to be with unveiled faces, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we politely refuse any competing authority that would require mass in the church's corporate worship. We must obey God rather than man. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, I had I had uh, I had forgotten that I that I put that in there, but I'm glad that I did. That's pretty great. Uh anyway. In conclusion, our far, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. This is the woman at the well talking to Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. An hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Do not think you're worshiping God if it's not according to the whole Bible, Old and New Testament. If God gave you a pattern for worship in Leviticus, then it's binding for today. But of course we have to see it in light of Christ's fulfillment. The question isn't what do we get rid of and what do we keep? The question is how did Christ fulfill this? But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, though the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, Am he? Well, that was politically incorrect of Jesus, don't you think? That wasn't very nice at all. She she took the humble route, didn't she? She said, oh, we worship on a mountain and you worship in Jerusalem. Okay, cool. Well, our churches do things differently. But you know what? When Jesus comes back, we'll all know. And Jesus said to her, you're wrong. If you're a minister of the gospel, if you're a minister of word and sacrament, you have the obligation to speak on Christ's behalf and to tell people who have different opinions on how to worship God, you're wrong. Remember how Paul talks about observing the order 
of worship. Order according to what? In every generation of the covenant of grace, God has called and taught his people how to worship him. The people confess and deal with their sin. They worship God with a clean conscience in word and sacrament. And the representative of Christ blesses his people. Your church does it one way and my church does it another. Well, one day we'll all know. No, if you own a Bible, you're responsible for knowing now. As I ended the last podcast, I want to end this one. If you're looking for a church that's worshiping God this way, if you're going, yes, I'm convinced this is what the Bible says to do, um, give us an email. Shoot us an email, reformingworship at gmail.com. If you're going, um, I haven't heard any of this before. It's It, it, it seems like you're very dogmatic in your position. Uh, I just need a whole lot more uh, information. Um, we're going to go through all of this in a whole lot greater depth in future seasons. But I would tell you, don't wait. Reach out to us, reformingworship at gmail.com. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to get you plugged into a church that's practicing worshiping God rightly. Um, don't wait. Don't wait for future episodes to come out. This is the most important question right now. What you, How you worship God. If you worship God rightly, that's going to be the only thing you do today that you're going to be doing 10 million years from now. Rejoice in what Christ has done. And you don't rejoice in what Christ has done just by filling your head with doctrine. The knowledge of God is supposed to lead to the fear of the Lord, the understanding of what it means to come into the presence of the holy, holy, holy Yahweh of Israel, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Knowing God, we fear him. And fearing God, we worship him rightly. If you're looking for a list of scriptures from either the last podcast or this podcast, we have literature at the Church of Philadelphia. Um, there was a there's a handout um, that that uh, there's a word document I think we put out a PDF right, and uh, all sorts of all sorts of good stuff like that. We've gone over it kind of quickly rather than to turning to every text as we have in the past. I hope this benefits you. I hope this confronts a whole lot of people with their need. Love the Lord and worship him with all your heart. Grace and peace.